Podcasting from Baldwin, New York. Welcome to the Baldwin Bruins Sports Podcast. Bringing you everything Baldwin Athletics, including news, game breakdowns, analysis, interviews, and much, much more. Prepare for the laughs, hot takes, hard questions, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, ready to dive into everything Bruins sports. Isaiah Bell and Sophia Smith. Sports Podcast. We hope all of our Baldwin athletes are enjoying a spring break while still keeping at it the Baldwin way. Today's interview is one of the most exciting things that Isaiah and I my, myself have uh, been able to be a part of, so we thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy as much as we will. Today on the Baldwin Bruins Sports Podcast, we are honored to have UFC Bantamweight Champion, Uniondale native, Sarah Longo member, Aljamain the Funk Master Sterling. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so, obviously, you just had one of the biggest fights of your career. So, before we get into all the, the hometown stuff, we want to jump on that first. So, um, when you were talking a couple of days ago about the fight at the press conference, your reflection on it was, was pretty positive, which I think is super admirable. Um, what do you feel like before the fourth round were some of your best takeaways on your performance from the fight? Uh, I think my best takeaways was this is only a shell of myself and uh, for me to perform the way I did I thought it was relatively good for how I felt coming into the fight. I mean, this is one of these unique sports where I always tell people like it doesn't matter about all the training you did. You could be an animal in the room and savage, whatever you want to call it, but if you don't show up on fight day, doesn't matter about all the eight ten weeks that you put in so that was one of those situations where i felt good all fight camp and um i just something felt wrong in the back room before i left the hotel and then when i got to the back room i thought i could shake it but i wasn't able to but i knew the ships have sailed and this is one of those things where it's like there's no turning back now it's time to yeah. go you know so uh, yeah i was proud of my performance either way in terms of how i handled that uh you know some adversity i had to deal with and uh i know my best days a fight like that, I, I should be able to, in my opinion, dominate the way I did the first round and second round. I think, uh, totally. I, think I can keep that pace the entire five rounds. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, and I just want to, you know, before I get into, you know, the rest of the questions, I just want to say, you know, I stayed up and watched the fight. I hope you know a lot of Baldwin guys, alumni, people going to the school, everybody, you know, watching the fight, you know, we were very you know, proud of you. It was, you know, nice seeing you up there. You know, I was bragging to one of my cousins because he's a huge UFC fan. I was like, yeah, how do you mean that used to be my coach? I don't remember because I was like, yo, that's my coach up there. Like, that's just crazy. But, um, yeah, so how did you feel, you know, going into the fight knowing that you could come out, you know, the champion of the world, Bantamweight champion of the world? That was a dream come true, you know. I... Jumped through a lot of hoops just to get to this position in my career, and uh, even when I earned it, it was still being taken away from me. You know, so um, fortunately for me, a lot of things worked out into my favor. Where some other guys, unfortunately for them, they lost, and they end up leaving me as the next best guy left standing. So um, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. This is what we all dream of, you know. So to get yourself in a position like this is not the easiest thing, and it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, and. Um, I pride myself on that, you know, so, you know, I was just happy about having my opportunity, whether it was, wasn't my best performance or not, it was just about getting my shot, and uh, I got it, 
I get the opportunity to have a rematch and get to do it better. And I, that's all I could be happy about, you know. So uh, I'm very thankful for that, and I can't wait for the next one. Mm, yeah. Yep. It's like both of us have kind of experienced, like, you know, if we win this game, we'll be county champs, we'll be conference champs. But, like, that was the champion of the world. So, like, I don't know, it's dope to see that, you know, you have a positive uh, aspect on it. Um, so, obviously, bandweight champion due to your opponent's disqualification. Was it hard to convert your disappointment about how the fight ended into into motivation and to realize, like, no, like, this is my belt. Like, I, I'm the one that take it home. Yeah, it, it was a little bit tough for me, but thanks to all my friends and families that were out in Vegas that night that were telling me, just take pictures with the bell. You earned it. You know, just trying to give me a lot of positive reinforcement. And uh, one of the things that someone said, which I thought was the thing that really changed my mindset was, hey, man, a lot of people claw tooth and nail just to get to this position. A lot of people can't even get to this position. You earned the right to be in there in that, in that ring. You didn't do, in that case, you didn't do anything wrong. And uh, the fight still had an entire round to go. And there's been fights in the past where, for example, uh, Misha Tate choking out Holly Holm in the fifth round when there's about a minute left on the clock, you know. So, you know, I think based on all of those things, it, it made it a little bit easier for me to accept that I did win the belt. Probably not in the best way that I like to win, but a win is a win. You got four ways to win, a knockout, submission, decision, or disqualification. Unfortunately, it happened that way, and... Uh, it's just one of those things, you know. So we'll, we'll we'll do it again, and I think it's gonna. I think the anticipation for it is what people are super excited about because they think he was getting the better of me, which he was. I, I would like to say he was coming on a bit strong in that fourth round, but the knee came after me landing two head kicks. So it shows that I was still in the fight, still back, still throwing big strikes, and uh, it's just unfortunate that it ended that way. Yeah, no, nah, like I said, I was watching the fight, and you were definitely, you know, getting those strikes in. I think um, you were only down by um, one point before the uh, the disqualification. Um, but talking about the belt again, you know, you got the belt. I got to know, where do you where do you keep the belt? Do you, know, walk around with it? Do you shower with it? Like, where do you, or do you have it somewhere up on the wall? Uh, the belt's actually downstairs right now. Um... I, I brought it around a couple of places, like a couple of friends and families, families uh, businesses and places I support in the hometowns and local areas that I live in or places I grew up in and just giving everybody an opportunity to see it and see what hard work and dedication really is like, you know, so um, until I, I win it the way I want to win it, which is a shutout or I, and I think it's fair for me to say this because I haven't lost around since my mom arrived fight and to think like when I look at that fight and to see my performance, it really lets me know like where I really stand and my, what my skill set and my capabilities are. So if that's the best PD on, I, I like to think my on a better day, I have a, a field day with him. And uh, to be able to take the belt around and show people, I think that's something to be said about just fighting through adversity and getting back to where you want to where you want to be in your life. It's about how you perceive yourself and the hard work that you put in when no one's watching. And that's all that matters. At the end of the day, people only see how the fight was going. They don't see the hard work that was put in, and that's okay. I know what I did to get there, and no one could ever take that away from me. Yeah, that's some real hometown hero stuff, and it's definitely felt around here for sure. Um, so after the fight, trolls on Twitter were, were all barks, just saying, you know, you know, Alfred was faking it and acting after you blindly got nailed in the head, which everyone could see. Um, 
was it tough? Is it still tough to kind of hold your tongue and not respond to every tweet you see with like facts and logic about, you know, what really happened? Uh, I mean, in like the first two days, I was really trying to explain myself. And then it got to the point where it's like, man, I'm not going to convince anyone or change their mind. They, they swore I took pictures with the belt the day of the night of the fight, which I did not. And, uh, I did, but I didn't post anything. I didn't post anything to my own personal accounts. Uh, those were my, all my friends and family who, who were there. And um, after that, I realized I don't need to explain myself anymore to anybody. It's either you understand, you have a brain, you watch a fight, and you understand what damage is and what a knee strike to the temple does to you, when you especially when you don't see it. If you don't understand that, then you haven't fought or you just never been... You just never, you don't know what it feels like. That's as simple as it gets. You just don't know what it feels like. And um, for people to think that you can act that is is beyond my com- comprehension. I really can't even understand how can anyone think that you could fake a shot like that. I've seen guys get hit with shots, illegal shots that were way lesser than that, deflected off the arm or def- deflected off the body and barely grazed their head and they quit in the fight. But... I get full-on blasted in the head and I'm told that I'm faking, which is, is just yeah. But um, like I said, I know, what I, I know what I felt. I know what I was dealing with in there and uh, it's just one of those things. I'm not the one who committed the foul. I, it's like watching a football football game or a basketball game. The guy gets a tech or gets do a, a personal foul and gives the guys 15 yards on fourth down, fourth and long. Yeah. You lose the game, you know? Yeah. It's just like any other sport, you know? So... I have nothing to be ashamed about. At the end of the day, the trolls can say whatever they want, and I'm going to be the one that's laughing to the bank, so it is what it is. Right. Like you said, you're the one that has the belt in your basement right now. Yep. Not them. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah, nah, it's crazy how people would think that's, you know, faking. Because even me, I just had a soccer game the other day, and a ball, somebody took a shot, it hit me right in the temple. And I was out of it. I'm not going to lie. I was out of it like a couple of seconds. I was like, yo, what in the world? So I don't just, you know, people are just really crazy. But, you know, just, you know, continue speaking on the hate, you know, that some of the people are trying to give you on social media. You know, sometimes that could be, you know, like exhausting and tiring. So, like, how do you, like, cope with that? Social media is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to connect people. And some people, unfortunately, use it for things like that they want to promote hate promote violence or whatever it is that they want to promote negativity and i used to have the approach of just trolling them back but being angry about it and that was like back in my high school years um maybe sometime around college but as i got a little older i matured and i just realized these are people who are just insecure with their own personal self in life and uh they wish they could do things like this and you know i can't fault them it's like you know i wish i could have been in the NBA, that was my ultimate goal. And am I going to spread hate because I never made it to the NBA? No, I'm not. You know, I have a different outlook on life. So I understand these guys, and I just give them love in return. You know, I, I write back, I troll them back, and I say things like, I love cats, I love dogs. <laughs> it's supposed to, they don't even know how to respond to it because it's just like, well, you can't get you can't get under my skin. Not, nothing you say is going to hurt me. I don't know you. It's not like my mom saying something about me and making me feel bad. Right. Some random person behind the screen who doesn't even have a profile pic talking crap. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, all right, I, I don't know you. I really don't care. Your opinion doesn't matter to me. And yeah. I know what it is. And you can say whatever you want. Yeah. And this is my response. And hopefully it gets under their skin, you know. So yeah. uh, it's usually a little bit of like re- reverse psychology. But I think you got to be 
mentally tough and have thick skin. And I think the way I grew up with my family and stuff, we, we chirped each other a lot. So if someone talks crap to you, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, you have to take it and dish it back. And I think that's kind of like the Long Island way, man. We, it's just yeah. how we're bred, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. I was about to say, my family, we definitely do a lot of chirping ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Football teams, base, any team that you're on, just friends. Oh, yeah. That's what we yeah. do, so, yeah. you know. I don't. I don't think there's a game in either of our seasons. Isaiah plays soccer. I play field hockey right now. Where, or there, I don't think there's a season where we're not like, oh, that game. Like there's gonna be talking. And you know, you gotta go and you gotta. You not only you know be the the backbone for yourself, but also for your teammates. But um, yeah, I love the the positive outlook you have on it. Did it take you a while to kind of get to this point of like trolls are trolls? You know, I'm I'm doing the work. Yeah, for sure. It, it, in the beginning, it bothered me. Not, not for this fight. In the beginning, when I first started to experience it, I was like, wow, this is what people were talking about. And then you're, you're trying to respond to all of these people that you're probably never, ever going to see that do not matter or impact your life. I know people always say for every hundred uh, positive messages you get, you get that one negative, that's the one that sticks with you. And it, sometimes that you that used to be the case for me. And then I just like, you know what? I really don't care. I just scroll past it or I read it, but okay. And then when I find a positive one, I respond to that. And if I have time, which I do have a lot of time, especially when I don't have a fight, I got a lot of time. So then I chirp them back, you know. So uh, I think you just gotta be comfortable with yourself and your own and your own self fulfillment and know yourself. If you don't know yourself and you collect the words of someone that you've never ever met really affect you like that to the point where it puts you in a downward spiral or you can't enjoy social media, then. Uh, Maybe some of those things you might feel are probably true, or you might feel like they might be true. You know, not everyone's gonna like you, not everyone's gonna accept you. And at the end of the day, you gotta just be you. You can only be honest to yourself. You can't be this other person or try to please this other person. Someone's gonna like you, someone's gonna like not like you. And uh, at the end of the day, there's only one you. So just be you and uh, have fun with it. Have at the end of the day, just have fun with it. Yeah. You're never gonna see these people, and it doesn't matter. And if you don't have thick skin, then just don't go on social media. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta, it's gotta come off the phone at that point. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, earlier, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, your rematch with uh Peter Yan. So, is there anything that you learned, you know, during your fight, um, a couple weeks ago that you know you think you're gonna be able to capitalize on for the rematch? I think so. I think he's a slow starter. I think um. He's there to be hit. I think his defense is actually a lot better than I thought, which I, I gave him a lot of praise mm-hmm. for that. His um, shell-style defense of just keeping his hands on his head and covering. He does this slight parrying, which deflects a lot of the power and the impact of, of your strikes. So when I when I fight a guy like that, it's just more volume because eventually something's going to get through and you just need to touch him up. You just need to constantly keep touching him up. And uh, he tries to tie, tie you out by going forward, but when he's on his back heels, he doesn't really have much that he can do. And that was one of the things my coach said to me in between rounds. The more you do, the less he does, which is very, very true. And um, I even told him, I was like, I'm getting a little tired, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. I'll do what I can kind of thing. And uh, that's that's really it. He's nothing. I didn't think he was like overly strong, nothing that I haven't gone against. I thought he was probably one of the, not weaker, but just not the most um, physically demanding guy in there, Phys- physically imposing guy in there, you know? So I, I felt like I'd gone with bigger, stronger guys, fought bigger, stronger guys, and trained with bigger, stronger guys, and nothing of surprise for me in that fight other than his defense was better than I thought it was, and um, 
surprisingly, he wasn't as fast. I thought he was going to be a little bit faster. Yeah. So, um, kudos to him. You know, he meant he made he was able to show up and keep his pace. And I know the next one's going to be the best one. For sure. Talking about that next one, before 259, you predicted a, a two-round victory. If, you know, when this rematch comes, do you have a prediction currently for it? Honestly, I thought in the fight, even the way I saw it, I was like, if I can just get him down one time, I think I get him out of here. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the way I really thought. I thought I'd get him down one time, i get him out of here. And then when I took him down, uh, he didn't really give up any resistance, which was a really easy takedown, which was very weird. Um, but I started to go crazy and I started throwing hammer fists instead of controlling him. And I think if I just maintain my control like I did against San Hagen and some of the other guys I've taken down, just control first before damage. So I, I, I think there was just so much buildup that I just wanted to punch him. Mm-hmm. So when I took him down, I went to strike instead of controlling him, taking his back and doing what I typically do and just maintaining control and, and fatiguing my opponent before I strangle him. And, uh, I think that's the next one. So I think if I get him down, I can see a, the same thing: first round uh, finish or a second round finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and one of um Jan's um interviews, uh, he called your actions, you know, shameful during a fight. Um, do you, don't you think that's kind of ironic? Since you know he was the one that got like disqualified. Like, yeah. how do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't really understand his logic. I'm like, you, you. You committed the foul. I didn't do anything wrong. I took a knee to the head that's probably going to have an impact on the rest of my career if I don't take the right steps and precautions to make sure I'm fully healed up for the next one. Um, You know, I always say, like, for this this type of sport, you only have a certain amount of those dings, I call it a ding, that you can take. And that's what's going to help you be able to bite down on your mouthpiece and push forward through strikes and be able to, to trade or if you need to dig deep and just go for it. You know, you need to be able to withstand some type of punishment. And um, you only have so many of those before you start getting popped and your head starts to pop up or your eyes start to roll in the back of your head and it just lets you know that father time is catching up with you. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that knee really took away some of those from me. And um, for him to call what I did, Shane, I don't even know what I did. Like, what exactly did I do? I took a knee to the head. Yeah. I, didn't do, yeah. I didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, if I could have continued, I would have. I've been kicked in the... In the I've been kicked in a couple, couple times, and I've continued to fight. Um, this was just different. This is yeah. just a different type of foul, flagrant as it can get. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like how you, like flagrant as you can get, and and it really was. So then, for him to come out and and call your action shameful when it wasn't even you on social media, it was your friends. Of course, friends are obviously gonna want to brag about you know my best friend is the is the new world champion. It's definitely ironic, but I can definitely tell that it's going to fuel you and your entire team for the next fight. Um, I want to talk about the officiating of that fight. You've commented on it. Um, Playing varsity sports for four years, both of us have definitely felt frustration with refs, um, but nothing to the capacity that you obviously felt that night. On a broader sense, do you feel like things need to change or kind of be like looked at again in terms of officiating these kinds of fights? I think so. I think when you when you see the impact of a foul like that, it's on the ref to make those those tough calls and decisions. You put it on the fighter, the fighter's always going to say, yeah, I can continue. The ref asked me if I can continue. I said, just how much time do I have? Let me know so that I can try to get my bearings together so that I can try to continue. And then they eventually made the call when they realized I wasn't coming to any any sooner or any quicker 
And um, I think with that, I think there should be a little bit more responsibility on the refs. And I, I do appreciate this ref, though, because although I don't remember it because I was just pretty delirious and there's still some moments that I don't remember yeah. after the fight, um, my coach told me that he came to the ambulance truck to check on me and see if I was okay, and I appreciated that, you know. So I didn't get a chance to tell him thank you, but I thought that was pretty cool of him because most refs or just about anybody, no one ever does that, you know. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, we're all human. People sometimes forget that, yeah, we might have signed up for the hurt business, but we're still all human. We're still all people. Like, you know, we have, as fighters, we get emotional. We have emotions in there, and like I said, we're human. Like, people, I think people sometimes forget, and they just think, like, we're Superman or Superwoman, and um, they think that we don't, we don't get hurt or our feelings can't be hurt because we're supposed to be these tough people, you know? So um, I think they should definitely take a look at the rules and how they officiate, and I think they should take a, a look at how they rule disqualifications because there's another ref that retired, and he was saying that the fight was handled poorly pretty much and that it should have been taken to a decision and not a disqualification because he doesn't think that Peter Young meant to throw the knee so I don't really understand when you tell the fighter that someone is down and then they still do the foul that doesn't mean that they intentionally wanted to do it I, I don't know, you know so I, think, I think it's pretty obvious that it's intentional it hasn't done yeah yeah so yeah. I think there's something to be said about that so there's a lot of things that need to be corrected and I think because our sport is still so young it's still growing, and uh, I do think there's probably going to be some reforms soon, and maybe some slight adjustments in the in the rules. You know, you talked about you know us all being human, but I hope you know, only one human in this world could be the bantamweight champion of the world, and that's you. So you know, I just want to say congrats again. We're gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, talk about some of your early days. You know, you went to you know group right here next to Bowen Uniondale. You know, what were some of your best memories, you know, growing up and, you know, wrestling in Uniondale? Uh, I would say making it into the county tournament my first year of wrestling as a sophomore. Um, I mean, sometimes after school, I remember well, my freshman year, we'd play basketball or uh, tackle football in the at the high school yard or the elementary school right next door at Walnut Street. And we'd play all the time. And, you know, I have some fond memories of that, just hanging out with all the guys and, just uh, connecting, bonding, and all that, and and then of course making it to the the county finals. And although I came short, you know, I lost to a guy I beat twice in the season, and he beat me when it mattered the most. Um, just being able to compete on that stage was always something special for me. So a lot of a lot of good times, a couple of um, heartbreakers in the mix as well. But um, that's what life's all about, man. You know, if people think that life's going to be easy and smooth sailing all the way through, they got another thing coming to them, you know. So I think uh, those are the things that helped made me who I am today. Yeah, you say, you know, playing basketball, playing football outside of school. At what point did you kind of switch gears and put all your focus on wrestling? Uh, well, I played football as a junior in high school as well. And then after that season, I didn't really play too much. They didn't really give me a lot of time. They called me the, uh, AKA the bench warmer. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> the, I, they told me I was the guy who was supposed to run out and go grab the tea, like some of my teammates. Yeah. This is this is some of the stuff like we say to each other as kids, you know, like we we have fun, we make fun of each other. And I, you kind of learn how to just be tough through, through times like that. And uh, I think after that season, having the success I had as a sophomore and a junior, I, I wanted to just go all in and I didn't, I didn't play football my senior year. I got a job 
and outside of working, I was going to school and doing all-season training and getting ready for my senior year to, to try to hopefully make a run at the state tournament and get a scholarship. That was the ultimate goal, but uh came short. But uh, I'm happy where I am today. Um, as you know, you know, the MMA and, you know, UFC, it wasn't as, you know, as popular as it is now, you know, like when you were growing up. So, you know, how has, like, the support changed through the years, especially, like, you know, with your come up in the sport? Well, the difference is when I was coming up, a lot of my friends were super cheap. So So they would never spend money to buy tickets to come watch me uh, compete on the regional circuit. But then eventually when I got to UFC and uh, I started to win a couple of fights, you start to see a little bit, little by little, more people are starting to reach out to you. Now they want to reconnect. Now they want to come out and support, which is cool and all, but it's it's always nice when you had that from the beginning because it it feels a little bit more, I guess, genuine. Um, Not when you're like at the top and then everyone wants to be around kind of thing, you know? So you gotta gotta keep things honest and know who was there with you from the beginning, from the start kind of thing. So... Um, it's a lot more popular now. I think people are starting to pay attention a lot more. It's probably, I think it's the fastest growing sport in the world right now or the country, one of the two. Um, so it's a lot of good things, you know. I think it's only going to go up and people are starting to finally get paid more money, um, although we still always complain about it. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a good time. It's a good time to be involved in the sport. And thankfully for all the pioneers back then when it wasn't as popular, they helped pave the way for us today. Yeah. So you know, if what like if not the the sport that's growing the most in the world or you know in the country, but on a more local level, Long Island, Nassau specifically, what would you like to see um, in terms of the sport gaining some more popularity, some more some more support, um, for, you know, for the future of it? Maybe just more support for the local guys. Um... I mean, you got a lot of guys from Long Island that alone just made it to the UFC. You got Chris Wade from East Islip. You got A. Truck Gordon from, from Freeport. Jay Hyron from Freeport. Chris Wyman from Baldwin. Myself, I grew up in Roosevelt, moved to Uniondale. Um, Ally Quinta from Wontor. And there's so many, the list goes on. There's so many guys. Even from Massapequa, you have uh, Phil Baroni. There's just a lot of us. East Metal, you have Max Serra. So you got three champions, all from Long Island, this small area. And I think it's still fascinating that a lot of people still don't know much about the sport. So that would be cool eventually for it to, to grow in that sense and uh, people just get a little bit more educated on the sport. Um, we just have so much diversity here. So you got, we got the Islanders, we got the uh, the Brooklyn Nets, we got the Knicks, even though, mm-hmm. I don't know, those guys are struggling still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they look better this year than the past year, so... <laughs> but now, but now, the Nets have, now the Nets are star, star five, so it's it's clipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's just cool to have the, like to get the same respect, uh, respect and support as those other guys would be something huge. I think it's just positive for the younger guys who are coming up and trying to follow in our footsteps to have uh, support of their hometown and the people around them. I think um, that helps motivate and push us a lot more. And uh, just speaking from experience and having. L- probably little to no support coming up but I always stay positive and knew that eventually where I want to be and then good things would start coming my way um so you know you started wrestling at um Morrisville State and then you know you wind up transferring to Cortland so like you know like what went into you know that process of you know like 
you transferring into Cortland? Like, what was going through like your head? What made you want to transfer? Um, the the main thing for me was my education. And at Mooresville, I was an accountant major. They didn't have phys ed, a phys ed program, and that's what I ultimately wanted to do. So I already had the goal that I was going to go to Mooresville for a year and transfer out. I almost ended up staying for another year just to hang out with my friends. And my coach told me from high school that that was very stupid and not to do that. <laughs> and uh, good thing I listened to him, and uh, I made the transfer, got my grades up so that I could transfer out as a freshman. And I went to Cortland, and my friend from Mooresville, John Jones, was training down the block from the from the college and I hit him up and asked him if I could come down when MySpace was still a thing and uh, he gave me the green light to come out. We hit it off again and uh, the rest has been history. I've been training there and then as soon as I finished with college, I came back home to uh, Long Island. So you certainly made a name for yourself in that wrestling world upstate, like you're saying. Do you remember how it felt starting to get recognized and starting to have people kind of comment on your performance on that collegiate level and kind of moving to a to a almost like professional level during those couple of years? Yeah, it was really cool. You know, when you when you're ranked number one in the, the division mm-hmm. and in a couple of different times in your career, it's it, it feels good, man. It's um, it just it's just nice to see that the hard work is being recognized. And sometimes I think that's, uh, you know, people say they don't care about it, but it's not the, it's not the biggest thing in the world to end up winning the whole thing, the NCAA tournament. But it, it does make you feel good. Like, my work is being recognized. People are touting me as one of the best guys in, in this division. And um, it says a lot. So me having that success in college let me know that when I make this jump, I can do the same thing as long as I put the time and effort in. Yeah, and did you learn um, anything, you know, specific from your Cortland days that, you know, you still, you know, use in your career today, whether, you know, it's like a signature move or just like any techniques that you learned during Cortland that you still use today? Yeah, the, the funk. I still bring the funk. That's the, <laughs> that's the main thing. My wrestling style was always funky. Uh, a lot of scrambles, a lot of uh, unorthodox techniques and stuff. So I still compete like that when I grapple. And... Um, I think even for my striking, it, it, it kind of stems off of my, my grappling and my jiu-jitsu style of just uh, a funk. Yeah. We're going to ask a little bit later, but is that where the name came from? Yes, it is where the name came from. My friends, we all try to pick out a, a name for myself because Ben Ashgren was Ben Funky Ashgren. And um, <laughs> I mimicked a lot of my style of him in college, and Chris Wyman's actually calling me right now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so I didn't want to take his name, and we kind of came up with Funk Master, kind of like a collective thing from myself and my teammates, and here I am, still the Funk Master. Sure. So, we were, um, oh, you yeah, now we were also going to ask that question later, but since, you know, he's calling you, what's your, like, your relationship with Chris Weidman? Like, are you guys pretty close? Are you guys, like, close yes. friends? <laughs> yeah, Chris and I are pretty close. Uh, I actually got to ask him some some family things right now and we're gonna have a little personal conversation um so we're pretty we're pretty cool we uh we talk a lot we play chess and uh whenever he's in town we get to we get to hang out or we go work out with each other and stuff like that so we're, we're pretty tight i don't i don't think anyone would expect you guys to just sit down and play chess together awesome. <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs some downtime you know when you're not getting body shots um There's so a lot of trash a lot of oh, trash. totally um, so junior year back to Cortland, um, you were ranked three in all of Division Three wrestling. 
would you say it's still one of your biggest accomplishments of your career? Um, well, I was ranked up one at a point, mm. and um, that was probably the biggest accomplishment. But yes or no, I think winning on the national level and becoming an All-American was probably my, my biggest accomplishment. My junior year, I came in unranked in the tournament. They drew me in to face the number two seed in the bracket, and I got the upset 1-0. And uh, everyone back home, they went nuts because they knew my style and they knew this kid was really good and he was uh, slated to beat me, but I came out on top and um, I shook up the, the NCAA world and got it done. You know, I, I became an All-American. I went twice and I All-American twice. So I think that in itself is an extremely hard thing to do. People think it's easy to get there, um, but it's not. But once you're there, it's, it's another thing, another different animal to actually place. Yeah, and that's a really big accomplishment. But even bigger, you know, is going pro. So, you know, how do you feel, you know, on your MMA debut? Uh, I felt great. It was a surreal thing because it was the first time without the, uh, the, what was it, the shin guards and the knee pads. Not the knee pads, the shin guards and the headgear. Which I did fight amateur without the shin guards and headgear before. But it was kind of like a on an Indian, Native American reservation. It was kind of a... A little sketchy over there, but uh, but this one is a little bit more dangerous because now knees to the head were allowed, elbows and all that stuff. There was head kicks were allowed, so I, I got I was a little scared. I mean, this guy had three fights already. I was making my debut. I knew he was like a I think a a purple belt under a very good uh, jujitsu black belt. So I knew my jujitsu game couldn't really compare, but I was a good wrestler. So. Um, Rest in peace to him. He actually just passed uh, not too long ago. But um, we ended up becoming like semi-teammates. We trained from time to time whenever I came to his gym kind of thing. So it was fun. It was quite the experience. And I remember that debut, they were making that, putting out articles comparing me to John Jones, saying I was a mini, a mini John Jones. Yeah. How did you take that at the time? That was a compliment. I, I thought, I was like, okay, I guess they liked the performance. You know, I was doing like flying knees and jumping switch kicks. And all these things I saw on YouTube, Superman punches, and <laughs> like I think I can be good at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, and it definitely paid off, and you were definitely right. Um, so going from NCAA wrestling to pro MMA is obviously a really big jump that can be really unfamiliar for for you know a lot of people. Did you have anyone, any sort of like mentor that kind of helped you through that process on those big steps of transitioning your game to the next level? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I kind of figure. I feel like I feel like I kind of figured it out on my own, and just kind of watching the mistakes and the things that other people were doing and seeing what worked and what didn't work. And I think I kind of helped mold my own game plan and kind of figure out things how I can make it work for me and how I can do things a little bit better. You know, in recent years, you know, you've come out to the high school, you know, to help our team. I don't know if you remember, but I did wrestle for one year, my freshman year. I, and, you know, you were there coaching us. So um, do you feel proud, you know, giving us, you know, your knowledge and everything of wrestling, you know, developing, you know, young wrestlers? Of course. I think wrestling is the, the reason why I'm here today. If it was for wrestling, I, I don't know where I would have been in life. So I think it definitely helped save me and um, helped kept me from making bad decisions that... We're on the cusp of happening, and 
to be able to share my knowledge and my experiences with younger kids was always a, a great thing of mine to do. And I felt like I had a guy named Dave Matana who took care of me when I was coming up and I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. He picked me out of like a bunch of kids and took me to wrestling tournaments, paid for everything, food, the admission fees, my singlets, headgear, all that. And I didn't even know the guy. The guy just wanted to help. And all I had to do was wake up. And ever since then, I always said I would have to pay forward to uh, the kids of the future. And that's that's pretty much how I feel whenever I'm coaching, you know, just uh, giving back what was given to me, and which is pretty much just an opportunity. Before coaching and helping out at Baldwin, did you have any other coaching experience on any level? Yeah, I coached at um, my I coached at my college for two years when my, while my brother was finishing up at SUNY Corland his wrestling career, and then I coached at Uniondale for three years, and then I came over to Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, can you just name you know some specific things that you've been able to you know incite our guys? You know, when you like when you come down, you know, help us out at, at Baldwin. Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. Um, can you just give us like um some things that you were able to um incite um our guys about regarding like wrestling? Man, it's it's tough because not not every kid loves wrestling like the way I did when I was coming up. You know, it's, it's just one of those sports where it's just like you have to be intrinsically motivated to want to the best for yourself and not every kid is going to want to be like that you got to figure out a way to kind of connect with them to uh, get them to want more and even if it's not your your favorite sport it's just about competing to the best of your abilities whenever you're out there and not just for you competing for a team like you're competing for yourself yes it's easy to kind of quit when you have no one backing you but when you know you have a whole team that's dependent on you I think it gives you a little bit more motivation to want to push a little bit harder because um, the team is looking at you to, to help with either a dual meet or um, team points in a tournament race to try to win. And I think that's very important. So to teach kids about just self-motivation and how to persevere and just just shoot for the top, you know, it's that's been the, the best thing that I try to teach kids and it's about not always about winning, it's about the lessons. And I think what the lessons of wrestling teaches you is just how to work hard in life and uh, anything you want can be gained if you put yourself in a position to win. You get what you put in, you know? So that's kind of like the thing about wrestling. Like, yeah, you might be a freak athlete, but not all the freak athletes end up winning and you get what you put in. You know the guys who put the time in, you know the people who cut corners and they miss practice and those type of things. And it teaches you about life because that's what life is going to be like when you get older. Yeah, I think it's super important to to learn these lessons, and we're so fortunate that we can learn them through sports and through adversity that way. Um, so before the interview, we reached out to a current Baldwin wrestler, Jendi Rodriguez, you know, about being coached by you. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and um, his words really just serve to show the impact that you've had. Jendi said, um, knowing you have a professional teaching and coaching you gives a more serious vibe and personally, Aldo gave me a lot of insight on the mental side, struggling with losses and dealing with hardships. He's a professional for a reason. Like, how does that feel to hear that from a kid that you coached, knowing that, like, you really left a profound impact? That's cool to hear. You know, Genji was one of my favorite kids, and uh, he wasn't the most physically imposing guy, but he worked hard, and I know he's had a couple of rough goals, and uh, the, the, one, the times that he did win, especially the dog fights, it was always 
it's always fun to watch that in the kids, especially when they're out there having fun and they're having success. Um, you feel the reward almost as if you won, you know? So uh, hearing that is actually pretty cool because uh, I didn't think he really even liked the sport like that. So it's, it's actually... Um, it's actually cool to hear that. <laughs> All right, and you know, at Bowen, we have a lot of great wrestling coaches. We, you know, we have Coach Murphy, Coach Stu, Coach Janasco. You know, some really great wrestlers. So, um, you know, how is it working alongside, you know, like Coach Murphy and them? That was great. You know, those guys have been doing it for a lot longer than I have, and to see their teaching um, skills and how they approach certain things was always nice to see to kind of gauge how I want to be. Um, in the room kind of thing so you see how everyone's approaches with the kids how they handle certain situations especially when you don't have that hands-on experience yet for that long you know I coached for three years prior and I think I coached at Bowen for about three four years as well so I didn't have the full in-depth experience as those guys had like over a decade of, of coaching um, skills and uh, experience so being able to learn from those guys and, and watch what they're doing definitely was a big help in helping me figure out, find my way of, of being a, a coach and a teacher and a mentor. Yeah, and I think one of the ways that you've been able to do that is kind of what has been on on display these past couple of weeks. Um, you know, at your press conference, you talked about the officiating and, and how you know the game and how, you know, you're going to be very sure of, this, of the moves that you make and you're going to be, you know, paying attention to the moves that are made on you. Um, do you emphasize really learning the game and learning the rules of the sport very uh, very strongly when you coach younger guys? Yes, 100%. I, I think if you want to get better, you have to be a student of the game, and that's really what it is. It's one thing that I've learned from Cortland is about self-discovery and is being honest about your approach and, and really learning how to do more of a hands-on experience. Some people learn better visually. Some people learn better doing it. Some people learn better when they hear the instructions. And you can figure out a happy medium for for everybody. Um, and being a student of the game, figuring out why this works, why this doesn't work in this situation, that type of thing, it's going to go a long way and help you figure out who you are as an athlete and an, and an individual. Like for me, I watch a lot of tape of myself so I can see what I look like. Because sometimes you think you're doing something the way you're supposed to be doing it, and then when you actually see, you're like, um, that, oh, wait a second. That's yeah. <laughs> it's like the reality versus how I think I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I, I always tell kids a lot to, to watch their matches. If they truly do care and they really want to get better, I can sit there and talk their ears off until they're blue in the face and um, until they're just sick and tired of hearing my voice. But if you really care and you want to make some improvements, you got to take some type of initiative to to make that jump and, and make some self-assessments so they can see where, you, where you're at and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to get to the point that you are at now... Was there, like, any, you know, specific saying or, you know, mantras that you live by that, you know, has helped you on your journey? I always just said before my matches and before my fights, I'm too tough, too strong, too quick, and I can't be broken. And um, that's always helped me get into the, the mindset of competition because competition is tough. Sometimes you want to quit. Sometimes when a situation is a little bit too hard, you're like, I, I, I don't really need to be doing this right now. I can be hanging out on the beach or sitting on my couch playing video games there's a lot of easier things than going toe-to-toe with someone in a wrestling match or in a fist fight you know so um you gotta have make sure you your head's dialed in the right place and you're in the right headspace to compete at a high level yeah so um 
this is obviously a very high level. It's a very intense, you know, uh, uh, game. What do you think about YouTubers and like young guys on TikTok coming out and trying to, you know, give give their shot in Octagon? I, I think it's cool. I mean, if you're gonna put the work in, it's all right. Mm-hmm. But um, the only thing that's kind of annoying is how much more they get paid. But I get it. They have a fan base, and that's what it is. It's the entertainment business, so I can't hate on that. Um, sometimes I'm just like, dang, why can't we, we get paid like that? But um, yeah, I, I think it's fun. Anyone who wants to try the sport and actually put some time in and train and go out there and perform and compete against another person who's putting the time in and training, I can respect it. Mm-hmm. All right, and I just have, you know, like a question, you know, as a fan. I just want to get, you know, your opinion as a professional because this is past week. You know, um, Francis Ngannou, you know, he won the um, heavyweight, you know, he's the new heavyweight champion. So I just want to, you know, get your reaction on that fight. Did you watch the fight? Did you watch that fight? Yeah, we had four people fighting that night, so I didn't get to watch till later. But um, I saw the, I saw it, saw the fight later that night, and I thought it was a great performance. Um, he looked poised, took his time, made the adjustments, using kicks, um, using his jab more, not rushing in, and... He had some good takedown defense as well. And I, I think he had a great performance. You know, I know both guys personally, so I've hung out with both. And uh, that was tough for me to watch because obviously you don't want to see someone you know get hurt like that. But yeah. uh, kudos to uh, Francis because that's a big win. And I think he can do a lot of positive things being a champ. Thank you. <laughs> so um, it is come time for our interviews. Uh, being that we are the Bold and Bruins, it's time for our unbearable questions. <laughs> Um, so you probably have one, but just to tell our listeners, what is like your dream needed, like walkout song? My dream walkout song? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess the ones I've been using, uh, mm-hmm. the last one I did a, a combination mashup of, uh, Damon Marley living it up for about 20, 25 seconds. Then they switch it over to join the Lucas. I love. So. All right, and before I ask um, my um, unbearable question, uh, I just wanted to know, you know, just because, how does it feel? Because I don't know if it's just me, but, you know, a lot of guys, you know, while watching UFC, watching boxing, they always want to get, you know, their name announced, like how uh, Bruce Buffer does it, you know, in the left corner, you know, you know, fighting. So, you know, like, how does it feel like when you get your name, you know, announced like that? It's crazy. It's, um, I think I just got it so dialed in my head that even when I'm not fighting, like I can visualize it and it can feel so real because, uh, I made that walk 14 times now and there's nothing short of surreal, you know? So to hear a guy like Bruce Buffer, you know, you've made it, you know where you're at and you just know it's time. It's about to go down. And that's one of the, the biggest things for me. It's like, once I'm in there and I hear that, it's like, uh, you kind of get the chills like, all right, baby. Game time. <laughs> All right, so uh, my unbearable question is, you know, before, you know, your championship fight, what was, you know, your uh, pregame dinner? What was your dinner? Uh, this one was a little tough because we weren't allowed to go out to go eat. Um, we had to order food to the hotel. And that's probably why I didn't eat that much on the day of the fight because they kind of just gave us these little plates of food and that was all I had mm-hmm. um, 
But normally we go out to either like a nice steak restaurant or a nice Italian spot so we can get the best of both worlds, either steak and Italian uh, meatballs. Sometimes I have a little bit of um, ice cream or chocolate. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I go I go a little crazy. Uh, right now, I'm about, this morning I checked my weight, I was 164 pounds. Mm. I fight at 135, so wow. it's not an easy wake up <laughs> by any means. And I like to just enjoy my time with food. Mm-hmm. As, soon as, the, as soon as the fight is over, I like to, I like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aljo, we want to thank you so much for coming on. Before you go, do you have any words of encouragement that you want to leave with our listeners, a lot of them being, you know, bold and athletes? Uh, just follow your dreams. Anything you want to achieve in life, it's really about you. You know, it's, it's the it's the fight is against you. It's, you know, you're never in competition with anybody else. So, never look at what other people have and, and judge yourself and your self worth based on somebody else. It's always about the stuff that you put in your competition is you, the person in the mirror. So, as long as you get up and put the work in and you give it an honest try and you don't give up, you can be anything that you want to be. I truly do believe that for the most part. You know, as long as you're not like. Um, limited in in certain aspects but for the most part anything in life is attainable as long as you put the time in you make the right connections and uh you you, you're an honest person and you put the you put the you put the groundwork in you can get to anywhere you want to be all right again you know thank you for coming on you know it's nice chatting with you can't wait to see you you know defend your title you better you know you're gonna be defending it so you know good luck you know good luck with the rest of your career Good luck with everything. You know, have a good one. Thank you, guys. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Al Jermaine, for that wonderful interview. If you enjoy hearing about these experiences as much as we do, feel free to leave a nice rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you listen from. For updates and information about the show, go give us a follow on Instagram at Bruins Podcast. Thank you, Matt, for the incredible job that you always do. Thank you, Mr. Ramirez, for setting this up and giving us a chance to speak to Al Jermaine. And thank you to all of our listeners. Keep up the support and tune in next time for the Bowdoin Bruin Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Baldwin Bruin Sports Podcast. Be sure to follow us on all streaming platforms. Check us out on Instagram at Bruins Podcast. Join us next time for more news, analysis, interviews, and everything Baldwin sports. 